Uh, John chapter 6, verse 35 through 51 is what I'll be reading this morning. It says, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled against or grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not grumble amongst yourself or among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give you, and the bread I will give for the life of the world, is my flesh. That is the word of the Lord. Pretty good uh, portion of, of, of God's word there that I, I just read for you this morning. And uh, like I said before, when we opened up our service, I said this was a, a tremendous blessing of a verse. Uh, there's so much rich theology here, and uh, there's just really a lot for us to look at. And there's so much uh, that you can make out of, uh, so much application that you can make out of this verse um, honestly, preaching on it for 35 to 40 minutes will not do it, it complete justice, but I will try. Uh, I feel that way every single week uh, with God's word. Um, it's, it's not the, the easiest thing to do to try to um, bring it to you and, and make it rich. Uh, it's God who does that in your soul, but um, it's always challenging to, uh, uh, to, to handle the word with, with care uh, so that God's people will be edified. Uh, but today... I think we can say this, and, and it's, it's been said uh, several times through this gospel, is that John has done a great job, and he has plainly made it known that Jesus is the Messiah. From the, I mean, we can go back to the very beginning. Uh, 
uh, of John chapter 1. That's why I read John chapter, a portion of John chapter 1 to you this morning. Uh, but he has made it, made it known, especially with the introduction, that, uh, that Jesus is the Messiah that God promised all the way back to the fall, all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. Um, in Genesis chapter 3, God said the following, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Um, that passage there is in reference to the coming Messiah, the one whom God promised to all of creation that he would provide uh, for the forgiveness of our sins. That was the first proclamation of the gospel in the Bible. And uh, God not only did it then, but he also did it in every other letter that had been written since then, and especially here in the gospel um, of John. Along with that, we have evidence of Christ being the Messiah. A couple years ago, we walked through the book of Mark. The book of Mark is amazing. If you want to see all the works that Christ has done, Mark is focused on works. It's focused on Jesus' works the works that prove that he is the Messiah. And it's full of action. Jesus went there. Jesus did this. Jesus healed this person. Um, it's a wonderful book uh, to, to show us that. But even in John, we've already seen several miracles. So by the works of Christ, by his miracles and also his teachings, we have clearly seen that he is the Son of God and Savior of the world. And as Christians, when we read the Bible, we have the benefit of knowing that. We have the benefit of knowing that because, because God has shown us that. But not all people believe that. Not all people believe that. In fact, too many, including those in this story that we've just read, uh, too many people can't see it or they just don't accept it. They can't see that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. He is the, the way, the truth, and the life. He is the only one to God. They cannot see it. Or they refuse to accept it. For one reason or another. The thing is that it's so evident to us that he is the promised Messiah. So why isn't it evident to everyone? Why isn't it evident to all why doesn't everyone understand it? That's probably a question that you've maybe asked yourself um, at some point in your Christian life. Maybe you have family members that you are uh, praying for and that you are sharing the gospel with. Maybe it's friends. Maybe it's coworkers. You're sharing the gospel with and, and you're wondering, why, why don't they just get it? Like, it's, it's so simple. It's right there. But you have to remember that at one time, we didn't get it. At one time, it was beyond us. We, we couldn't fathom the fact that we needed a Savior because we thought, hey, I haven't murdered anybody. I'm, I'm a good person. You know, I, I'm, you know, if I'm comparing myself to my neighbor, if I'm comparing myself to the people I hang around with, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good compared to them. I'm not saying that. And I, I would never say I'm good compared to y'all because I know better. But sometimes we do that. I'm a pretty good person. You know, I, I don't need a savior. It's not until God's word speaks to our hearts and we're able to understand it, truly understand it, that we are sinners in need of a savior, that it starts to make sense to us. But that doesn't happen to us automatically. And, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. 
You see, when we ask the question, why doesn't everyone understand that Jesus is the Messiah? The answer to that question is actually found in our passage. It's found within verses 35 through uh, 51. And it has everything to do with the will of the Father. That's why I titled this sermon, The Will of the Father. See, because it is the will of the Father that brings us to Christ with changed hearts to perceive him as Lord and Savior. That is, the, that is the gospel truth. It is the will of the Father that brings us to Christ with changed hearts to perceive him as Lord and Savior, to know him as Lord and Savior. When we realize that's what the Bible teaches about how we are saved, then all glory goes to him. We deserve none of it. All glory goes to him, but something else really special happens in, in our brains and in our hearts and in our hope is that we find ourselves completely secure in him. It's a true blessing. All glory goes to him, and we're completely secure in him with our salvation, with our life, with everything. When we really come to understand how we are saved. You know, the first thing that we have to really focus on, especially here in this verse, is verse 37. Verse 37 is a power-packed verse and it tells us Jesus tells us in that verse that all that the father gives to him he keeps all that the father gives to him he will never let go and the reason why Jesus says that in verse 37 is because the topic of conversation between Jesus and the Jews is salvation Jesus is presenting the gospel to those he's speaking to and it's, it's, been, it's been a long dialogue, starting off in chapter 6, and we finally, we, we've gone through this process of, of Jesus um, speaking to them, pointing back to his works, pointing back to the word of God, telling these people who he truly is. And now, here comes the gospel. Even though they don't understand who he is, he's going to explain to them why they don't understand, but how they can So we need to really pay attention and really uh, get the context of this verse. It is extremely important because, again, they are talking about salvation here. This is not a verse where someone just grabs out of the air and puts it here and says, okay, this is my point, This um, this is what I think, and here's this verse to back it up. No, this verse is speaking about salvation. This verse is speaking about the depravity of of humanity and the grace of God. That is the focal point here, and there's there's no going away from that. That that has to be clear in our minds. And the reason we come to that conclusion is because, as I said before, uh, there was previous conversation, but within this conversation with the Jews, Jesus revealed himself as the bread of life. It was the first I am statement within the gospel of John. He says, I am the bread of life. He plainly said that. At first he had said, well, I'm the bread who comes from heaven. Trying to let them know that the manna that that the Old Testament people received from God, that it was pointing to Christ. And he was saying, no, no, you're missing the whole thing. 
it wasn't about just feeding those people physically. God was saying, this is how I'm going to provide for my people spiritually. I am going to give them the bread of life. And Jesus said, I am that bread. You're, you're pointing and you're thinking about Moses, but, and you're, you're wanting me to provide for you, but you don't realize what the scriptures say about this. So Jesus says, I am the bread of life, which means he is the true bread from heaven. He is the one who comes down from heaven. And the Bible says he is the one who gives life to the world. Now, the Jews here were, are asking to be fed by uh, the same bread their forefathers ate in the wilderness with Moses. Jesus had just performed this mighty miracle. He, he fed 15 to 20,000 people um, off, of, off of a little boy's lunch. And they saw that. And then the light in their head went off. They thought, wow, if we can get this from him, just imagine what else we can get from him. So they started to follow after him because they wanted stuff. That's the best way I could put it. Stuff is all-encompassing. Because I think everyone there was after him for different reasons. So they just wanted stuff. They were seeking after him to be provided for by him. They saw him as an earthly ruler and nothing more. All the works, all the teachings, all that really pointed to him being an earthly ruler for them. They didn't realize that Jesus was actually greater than Moses. In fact, he was greater than all. They did not realize that he was the son of God and savior of the world. That's why Jesus said to them, verses 47 through 51, I am the bread of life. Your forefathers, or rather your fathers, ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. Speaking about physically. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. Speaking spiritually. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give for the life of the world is my flesh. Pointing to himself. So here, Jesus makes it plainly known. He says, I am the bread of life. I am the one that, 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 that uh, wonderful, uh, that, that wonderful, powerful miracle pointed to. God was showing the world that he would provide his son and, he, and, and the world would be securely provided for by his son. And he says, I am that bread he says, I will give the world life through my flesh. See, despite his works, his teachings, all the proclamations that, that, that he is making, the people did not believe and they did not understand who Jesus really was, even after he made it this plain. The reason why they did not understand is because they did not have eyes to see, they did not have ears to hear, they did not have a heart to perceive it. In, in other words, they were not regenerated. They were not regenerate. God hadn't changed their hearts. So even though it is being spoken of plainly to them, they have no way to understand what he's talking about or who he is. 
I was thinking about this passage as I sat down and read it, picked it apart, tried to decide what angle I was going to feed God's people with it. And I, I started thinking, what, what would I do if I were them? And, and not, not in my enlightened state right now. What I mean by enlightened, I mean saved. My, my saved state right now. I'm talking about outside of that. If I were just like them, God had not saved me yet. I started to imagine, what if we were all like them? I think in our own pride, we might think that, that we would be able to determine that he was the son of God. It's like, when you read scripture, it's like, it's evident. I mean, look what he did. We're like, why can't you, why can't you see that? So I think we get a little prideful in that area, and we, we think maybe we would see the truth. But the truth is, without God intervening, we would be the same as them. That's why we need to be long-suffering with those that we share the gospel with. We need to be long-suffering with, with those whom we love, and, and, and it's frustrating because they just don't see it. We just need to continue sharing and sharing and sharing as opportunity allows and praying for their souls. Because it's not an easy thing to see by yourself. In fact, it's impossible to see by yourself. That's because without God, the Father, giving us over to Christ, we would never see him as Lord and Savior. That's what this passage is saying. That's at the heart of, 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 of this section of scripture. There has to be a giving over. Giving over of us. God giving over of us to the son. In order for us to actually see him as Lord and Savior. Jesus says to the people. All that the father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out verse 37 now as i said before this is a profound passage about how every person who has ever existed or will ever exist has come or will come to saving faith here we see a wonderful display of god's glorious grace being given to a people that he has set aside for his own possession and we have to remember the context. The context is perfect. We're talking about salvation. It cannot be confused with anything else. And Jesus is saying, look, you still see me as just a provider. And the reason why you see me as just a provider is because the Father hasn't given you to me yet. If the Father had given you to me, it would be a different story you would see me as who I am, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, and the Son of God. That's why I said it has everything to do with the will of God, specifically in salvation. Us coming to Christ has everything to do with the will of God in salvation. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about the will of God as, as it is revealed to us here um, in this passage. 
Sorry, getting my notes twisted. First of all, let's completely understand verse 37 as it pertains to the will of the Father. When Jesus says, all that the Father gives to me will come to me, well, when we look at that in the Greek, this is what it means. It means all who, replacing the word that with who, all who the Father puts under my care will come to me. It's, it's a wonderful translation. When you find out what those, two, what those two words are, instead of all that, it's all who. And instead of all that the Father gives to me, it's all that the Father, the Greek here is, puts under my care. For me, that makes like a big difference. I don't know why that, when I, when I read it that way, it just, it's so much clearer in my head. I mean, I know what it is to give something to somebody. But most of the time, whenever we give something, it's just like, okay, you know, here. And like, we don't think about it unless it's what? Something extremely precious to us. Like, if I'm going to give you a penny, I'll just give it to you and I'm not worried about it. If I'm going to give you one of my kids, I want to make sure it's going to somebody that I trust, right? There's a big difference. So, what Christ is saying is that he's saying that all that the Father gives to him, all that the Father puts under his care, what better place for us to be than the care of the Son? It's, it's amazing. And Jesus is saying, look, you can't come to me unless my Father gives you to me. Otherwise, you won't understand. You won't be able to put it together. No matter what happens in front of you, no matter what I do, you won't understand it because, again, the Father hasn't given you to me. You see, it is emphatically pointing, this, this verse, it is emphatically pointing to the fact that God the Father, he elects those who will be placed under the care of God the Son. And Jesus even further clarify, clarifies this for us in verse 44. He says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And that is a, that word draw in the Greek is a literal pulling in. Pulling in of the soul, of the person. Now, this clarification in verse 44, it, it's important. Because not only has Jesus said it once, but he has said it twice in a matter of, of, of a couple of verses. It lets us know that what Jesus said in verse 37, it backs it up and it makes it known that it is gospel truth. And it's exactly the way he said it. Now, the reason why the people in this story didn't understand what Jesus was saying is because they hadn't been placed under the care of the son by the father. And we can, that, that same thing is, is still true today for unbelievers. But listen, then there's the second part of that verse. The first half we just read is powerful enough, but the second part, the second part is equally powerful. All that the father gives to me will come to me. 
That's the portion we read. Here's the second part. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Now, the fullness of this verse, or excuse me, the fullness of what this verse is explaining is astounding. Listen to me for a moment. This is really important in in the whole sermon. Just listen to this very carefully. When we look at verse 37, this is, in essence, this is what it's saying. God the Father, in his sovereignty, that means God the Father in his immovable and omnipotent will. So God the Father, in his sovereignty, has created and has set aside a people for his own possession. That's what this verse is telling us. Not only that, but we can also look to First Peter two, First uh, Peter chapter two, verse nine. It, w- it will back that up. So God the Father has created a people for His own possession. They are created to be vessels of mercy. That meant they are they are created to serve Him. And we know that from Romans nine twenty two. And they are to be given to the Son to be cared for by him. We see that in John 6, 37. So let me read that again. God the Father, in his sovereignty, has created and set aside a people for his own possession. They are created to be vessels of mercy, and they are to be given to the Son to be cared, by, cared for by him. Now, God the Son... In his sovereignty, which points to his immovable and omnipotent will, has received every person that God the Father has given to him. And we see that in John 6, verse 37. But not only that, he has also promised that he will never lose them. What a wonderful exchange between God the Father and God the Son. All we know is that one day, for one reason or another, we hear the gospel, and then it clicks. Maybe we've heard the gospel for years before that, but that one day, it just clicks. And you realize I am a wretched sinner. I have sinned against God. Without Christ, I am worthless. But Christ has died for my sins. And now there is an opportunity for me to place my faith in him and to be forgiven and to have peace with God. That's all we know. But when that day happened for you, and maybe it hasn't happened, maybe it's happening right now, but when that happens to a believer, what's actually taking place is that we are being handed over to, we are being handed over from the Father to the Son in His everlasting care. Now, 
what God has started in the Christian by saving him, we can be assured that he will bring it to completion on the last day by raising him. It is, we have, without a shadow of a doubt. Because it has nothing to do with us, it has everything to do with God. Listen to this out of John 6, verses 38 through 39. Jesus continues and he says, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will. Right? We're still talking about the will of the Father and Jesus is explaining that to them. Not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And I wish we knew what the will was. I wish, I wish it was there. Praise God it is. And this is the will of him who sent me. That I should lose nothing of all that he has given me. But raise it up on the last day. How wonderful, how beautiful is that? I think about, as soon as I, I was studying this and I, I, I read these verses in 38 and 39, I'd actually read those a couple of weeks ago, and it really got my mind thinking about those verses, and all of a sudden I just thought about Romans chapter 8. I just, I just really thought about Romans chapter 8 and what Paul said in Romans chapter 8. I've always loved that passage, but here it is just... It has so much more power power when I combine it with what Jesus has just said. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 35. uh, 35, and then we're going to read verses 37 through 39. And you can turn there. This is is just great. Romans 8, verses 35, um, and then 37 through 39. Here, Paul is so confident in the grace that is found in Christ. He is so confident, he says this. He says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Great question. Shall tribulation, our distress, our persecution, our famine, our nakedness, our danger, our sword, what are all those things? All those things are things that are, that are here, now, trouble that we face. All those things are signs of struggle, signs of trouble. All saying, can any of those things separate us from the love of Christ? He answers his own question. No, it cannot. Why? Well, let's add it to what we just learned. No, it cannot. Because the Father has elected us and given us to the Son to be placed under His care. And the Son has promised not to lose anyone that the Father has given Him. That's why it's no. And then with knowing that, Paul says this, no, of course not. I added, of course not. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. I've always loved that verse because he didn't say we're conquerors. He says we are more than conquerors. How can Paul be so confident? Because we know that the previous chapter in Romans chapter 7, Paul's dogging himself. He's saying, I am a wretched man. The things that I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I keep on doing. Who will save me from this body of death? 
Praise be to God, my Lord Jesus Christ. So, so Paul's confidence is clearly not in his flesh. Paul's confidence is clearly not in the person he is, the apostle he is, the great person he is. It has nothing to do with him because Paul knows without Christ, he is completely and utterly sinful. So Paul's, his confidence is in Christ. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. Because of Christ, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure, and we need to be sure as well, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, no powers, no height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Told you, it just really puts things into perspective for us. So I have two questions and then we're done. Here's the application of the sermon. We think about this wonderful truth and it's encouraging for us. Because because we know that, that we have been placed... We have been given salvation as a gift. We know that. It's by grace, through faith, that we have been saved. There's no boasting on our part because God has done everything for us. He has given us over to the Son. And the Son has promised to care for us. I don't know about you, but the first question that comes to mind after I know that is, why me? Why me? Out of all the people who have ever existed, why me? The answer is this. You may be asking the same questions. Why you? The answer is this. Because he is God and he is good. Those two things are very important. He is God. That means he is the one who has the choice. He is the one who has the power. He is the one who is sovereign. It is his will that prevails. So when we say, why me? Because he is God. Don't get it twisted in your head at all. And I say this with all kindness and love to you, but God does not need you. He does not need me. Why me? Because he is God and he is good. The fact is, no one deserves mercy. No one deserves forgiveness. But for the glorification of Christ, God the Father has given us grace. We must remember that we are blessed beyond measure, that God the Father has placed us in the care of his Son. We, we, can't, we can't forget that. That cannot be secondary to anything else in life. If it is, then then we need to check ourselves in why we are following Christ. Our salvation is primary to anything. We have to understand that and have hope in that. That God has placed us, God the Father has placed us in the care of His Son. Now we can go forward and we can live for Him. Well, what does that mean? Because that means a lot of things to a lot of people. Number one, take joy in your lot in life. If God is the God of your soul and he's the God of 
that he is the God who saved you, he is also the God who is over your everyday life. God has you where you are because that's where he wills you to be. What are we told in the Bible to do? We are told to take joy in what God has given us. We are told to praise him through the good, the bad, the ugliness. We are told just to praise him, to depend on him, to pray to him, to be content where God has us. Also, we are to enjoy the freedom that we have in Christ. That's extremely important. God didn't call us to a boring life. There's a lot of freedoms that we have in Christ that we can enjoy for the glory of God. We have to be careful not to to use that freedom for sin. It all has to be under the headship of Christ and for the glory of Christ. But we have this wonderful freedom to live a life and enjoy it and to praise God with it, with this wonderful freedom he has given us. And the goal of our faith, the goal of our life is to bring glory to his name. That's why. Second question. Who else? You ever wondered that? Who else? First question was, why me? Second question, who else? When we talk about salvation, who else is God going to save? Because if God is sovereign in salvation, if he is the one who God the Father hands us over to God the Son, as Scripture says, and the only way we come to saving faith is by by that happening and and our hearts being changed and and us being uh, seen ourselves and God in a different light, if that's the way salvation happens, then the question is, well, who else? If we're not in charge of our own salvation, I want to know who else is God going to save? That's a great question. And here's the answer. You may not like it, but here's the answer. We don't know. We don't know. And we won't know until God does it. Until God reveals it to us. And how does he reveal it to us? By the proclamation of one's faith in Christ and the repentance of their sin. That's how he reveals it to us. So in essence, we don't know who else. But we know that God is God. God is good. And we know that the gospel is the power unto salvation for those who believe. And we know that the Holy Spirit does his work with his word. That his word never comes back to him void. But it does what it intended to do in that person. So here is, here, here is the point to me asking who else. Who else is not any of our business. But what is our business is that we are sharing the gospel. And we are proclaiming and sharing the gospel and we are asking everyone. We are asking everyone. I want you all to hear me. Everyone. To believe. To believe in Christ 
and repent of their sins because there is a Savior for their souls. The wonderful thing that this passage is really speaking to us and sharing with us about how we are saved. I hope that this has blessed you in the fact that you just didn't come to this knowledge of Christ by yourself because if we did, then there would be room for boasting. But Ephesians says, no, there is no room for boasting because you were saved by grace through faith. What a wonderful God we serve. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for